Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Cali Cube Tuesdays with George Caparanaros, which I think I probably said more or less correctly. You did. You did. People don't often get it correct, but you did. You did. Ooh, right. Right. Usually it, it's with singing that I get it right. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, George Caparanaros. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely wonderful. I think this is the first time I've actually got it better by saying it than by singing it, because I gave that rolling R, because I think I'm an opera singer. It's a little bit tricky. I'll tell you what. Like One of my friends um, mm -hmm. told me that if I paid him 10000 he would not be able to spell my surname. So like, trust me, you're doing fine. <laughs> Brilliant, wonderful. It's really hard for people. <laughs> yeah, which is delightful because we start off with the uh, brand search. So if we show that first one, I immediately looked up your name. This is what I do with every guest is I look up their name on Google. I search their name and we have the brand SERP. And if we can show that first screen, there you go. Um, we've managed to invade a little bit of your brand SERP. You can see down there the, the image at the bottom. We're in the images in the middle there. Um, and you actually have a personal website that is a business website. That so is you are your own business, is that correct? That is correct, um, even though uh, we are in the process of changing that because I don't want my name to be the business anymore because this creates all sorts of uh, issues. Um, it's a little bit bad for scaling a company because people expect you to be involved 100% in the fulfillment of the services, which is fine when you are small, but the more you grow, the harder this gets. So we're in the process right. of changing that. Oh, brilliant. I mean, in fact, kind of rebranding is something that I do a lot of with the brand stuff, the knowledge panel specialization that we do, which is changing this message uh, according to kind of the, the rebranding. And I think a lot of people find that they brand themselves as the company and then realize the company is actually a different entity and they need to optimize them separately, which is why we've got the support group. So anybody who's watching who wants to join the Facebook support groups for brand sets and knowledge panels, please do so. And if we show the next slide, I actually think this is pretty cool because you filled in your Google My Business so minimally, it almost looks like a knowledge panel. That's completely accidental, I have to tell you. <laughs> I don't know much about SEO, so it's good news to hear I'm doing something correctly. Brilliant. So it, please do join us in the support groups because this is the kind of fun conversation I, I, we have. I definitely will. Uh, and this is something I definitely need to work on because this grew organically, really. Like, I did not mean to grow a team. Like, I started as a solo consultant and then it kind of started growing from there. So it, there's a definite need to, to work on that, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem. Um, I was talking to Mark A. Preston, who's rebranding himself to Mark A. Preston as a company, or as a person who is also a company. And that's a really difficult balance to get, because you're saying, I want to be the representation of myself, but what's the difference between me and my company? And it's a hugely difficult task. And here, I thought you've been incredibly smart, but you're telling me it was pure luck. <laughs> Sorry to ruin that for you. <laughs> yeah, well, here's a good technique for anybody who has their own name as their, their company, is that you can do this, and it does look like 
a knowledge panel. And the trick is to fill in as little information as possible in Google My Business so it looks like a knowledge panel. Absolutely delightful, George. I learned something new thanks to you today. Um, before we carry on, really quickly, the sponsors, uh, if we can have that video up there. We have a sponsor this week, Ahrefs, and as always, word left from the very beginning. Please do join me every week on Tuesdays, as the name suggests, Caddy Cube Tuesdays is always on Tuesday, and we have been producing in partnership with WordLift since the very beginning, delightful AI SEO tool that does the heavy lifting for you. And this week, headline sponsor, Ahrefs, who are an amazing SEO tool with everything you need to rank higher and get more traffic, which is absolutely delightful. And talking of WordLift, really quickly, right after this episode at 6 p.m. Paris time, we're going to have a roundtable with Alex Silver, Dave, David Ricci-Telly, Ritchie, excuse me, and myself talking about measuring semantic SEO results using Google Data Studio, GA and GSC. It's geeky, 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 and I'm going to love it because I know nothing about it, and they're going to teach me everything. So, George, what are we talking about? We're talking about e-commerce and retention in e-commerce. And my first question is you talk about your hard-earned customers. How hard are these customers to earn? They are increasingly harder to earn, um, as a lot of people that listen to us probably know, for a variety of factors, really. Um, advertising is getting harder and more expensive by the day. Mm -hmm. More people are joining e-commerce because the barrier to start is quite low these days. So retention mm -hmm. really is causing customers that purchase once to buy more than once. That's how we would define that. However, what's really interesting about the, about retention is that why do you want them to, to purchase more than once, right? Um, yeah. And the main reason for that, I would say, and not all companies think about it like that, is that when you are able to monetize your customers more effectively, you are able to spend more on acquiring new customers. So it creates this loop. Right. You earn more money per customer, so you invest more money, and then you acquire more customers, so you invest more money, and then you ultimately grow faster. So retention is a way to grow, really. Right, and it, it's a kind of flywheel. I mean, actually earning, and I like the word earning, earning the customer is phenomenally difficult and relatively expensive. Retaining the customer and selling them more of whatever it is you're offering, hopefully because they need it, is the absolute key because it allows you then to reinvest in that acquisition. That's, that's exactly what it is. Um, now, the, I think most common misconception is that people think retention is something you do, whereas it's really an outcome, right? It's an output. The input if you will, is your product type. Mm -hmm. There's a whole spectrum. And we'll talk about all that if you want. Your product quality, your customer experience. And then lastly, it's what we typically consider marketing, like the promotions and so on. So what retention means for one company is not what it means for another company. And if you think about the product type, like imagine that there's a, a spectrum, right, of shopping mm -hmm. frequency. On the far uh, right, you have something like, I don't know, toilet paper. Mm -hmm. You 
purchase it recurringly and you need to do that. You have no option not to purchase that, hopefully at least. Uh, and on the left side of the spectrum, you would have something like a refrigerator. You may buy mm -hmm. it once because you're moving to a new place or yours is broken. You can't really expect to purchase it multiple times, can you? So the product type really determines all. Right, which is a really interesting point. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective. Um, the idea that I open my fridge and it knows I don't have enough milk and it then orders from Amazon <laughs> is pure retention on something that I will need recurringly. Whereas I have a fridge and it's, I, I, left, I, left, I turned the electricity off very stupidly before I went on holiday thinking I would avoid a fire. And of course, what happened is the fridge went rotten. So I now have a smelly fridge. So I'm going to have to buy a new fridge. But the last time I bought a fridge was, what, eight years ago? Exactly. So I have so no memory of who I bought it from. Sorry. Exactly. And, and that's a problem, really, because if you have a product or a product, a collection of products that's low on the frequency spectrum, what do you do? Well, the answer to that, I'll tell you <laughs> what the answer to that. I, I'll generally really? try to. To, to tell also that people don't need like someone like me to do it for them so that they can think about those things properly. What you need to do <laughs> if you don't have... <laughs> That's funny. For people listening in on the audio without the, the video, Anton just put up on screen a refrigerator, refrigerator, sorry, full of toilet paper. What you need to do uh, if you have a product type that has a low natural frequency really is to introduce new reasons why people would keep you top of mind. And an example one. I like to give is a company called One Peloton uh, or One Peloton. I'm not sure I'm saying it correctly. They're selling exercise bikes and like the refrigerator, no. you're not going to buy many exercise bikes really. Like even no. if you have a big family, you're probably going to share that uh, with your family. So what they do is really interesting because they also sell workouts that are likely to keep you on the bike and are likely to cause you to remember the brand when you end up buying apparel, which they also sell. Whereas if they didn't have those workouts to bridge the low frequency bike with the apparel, mm. it would be very unlikely that you would. Now, obviously this goes way beyond uh, than just marketing. It's strategy, really, how you grow a company. Mm. But if you don't have natural high frequency, this is what you must do. You must find a way of staying top of mind so that when the time comes that people will repurchase and also introduce new products that they can repurchase, obviously, they will have you at the top of their mind. Now, if you have high frequency, there's very practical things you can do. Um, right, yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say is because my fridge is one example and you were talking about toilet paper as the other example. Um, I have an account online with an online shop that delivers me my shopping and in my standard caddy, I have toilet paper. That's really easy to do. It is. It is. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, no, it's really difficult. You have to be incredibly intricate about how you present these things, but that recurring purchase is easy? The, the recurring purchase is easy if it, if it makes sense with the initial purchase. Like everybody purchases for a goal, right? Mm -hmm. If the goal, for example, uh, would be to 
I don't know, uh, lose weight, for example, there's various pathways to losing weight. If you are selling supplements, which help you manage your appetite, mm. there's another pathway, which is exercise. So those two things would be easy to connect together. It has, there has to be a connection and it has to do not necessarily with the product, but the reason why they purchased the first product. Right. Okay. I was immediately thinking of the idea that they are reliable, they're cheap, and uh, it's simple. So simple, simple, cheap, and reliable would seem to me to be that kind of recurring idea. As, as soon as they mess something up and they de deliver late or they forget something in my order, I might drop off. Yes. Again, everything has to do with why you decide to purchase, right? If that's your reason for purchasing, that would be the way to keep you purchasing, really. It's very right. context dependent. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and somewhere in the middle as well, I mean, or somewhere in the middle, all of this is also to do with my empathy for the person or the company, excuse me, selling me the, the product. As a company, you're, you're talking about your own company, which is represented by you. So there's enormous empathy and relatively easy to keep clients on board. As soon as you give it a company name, does that become more difficult? I will tell you about that in a few months uh, once <laughs> I have actually done that. But I believe that it won't. Because if you can communicate, like we're talking about my company now, so it's a little bit different context than what you would see in e-commerce. I think mm. that in service businesses, um, if you can communicate that the work is done at a certain standard, it really shouldn't matter who's pressing the buttons. Um, Brilliant. So that, that, yeah, that, no, sorry, that, 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 that's, a, that's a really good lesson for us at CaliCube because obviously I represent CaliCube a great deal and CaliCube is my company. So I was getting uh, a little bit of advice from you on the side, but we should come back to e-commerce. You talk a lot about email marketing. Is it all about email marketing? Is it all based on that or are there other aspects? The, the company uh, I have focuses on email marketing. Retention is a broader topic than email marketing. Oh, right, email sorry, mar I mean, within e-commerce, within e are we really focusing only on email marketing or is there a larger aspect? Yes, uh, in the past, the, we did a variety of things really, but we found our sweet spot in email marketing mm. and we're willing to double down on that. And specifically, just to make this uh, even more clear, we're, we're looking to double down on working exclusively with health and wellness companies. Um, that is right. the reason behind that, if you're curious. But... Right. <laughs> Right. Oh, uh, Asif enjoys listening to Jason every Tuesday, and today we're listening to George as well. Um, and you're really focused on email marketing. I actually uh, was looking at the website from that perspective, is when somebody comes to the website, I need to keep them on board. Once they've bought from me, I then use the email address that they gave me for buy buying from me to keep them on board. And what are the techniques that you're recommending within the email strategy that I should be having, I, I suspect or I get the idea that a lot of companies I buy from then bombard me with emails to the point at which I get very bored and annoyed. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll answer that. I'll take a step back and then I'll get into that. Right. The first consideration really, which should determine how you structure the emails, has a lot to do with the quality of the products. 
<laughs> there are unfortunately many e-commerce companies that don't have products that are good enough to produce um, repeat purchases by themselves, right? Uh, so if you are that type of company, and again, this is not something I necessarily endorse, but part of winning is knowing what game you play, right? Like if the quality <laughs> of the products or your supply chain or anything related to the post-purchase experience is on the low side, the strategy really should switch to monetize the customers as much as you can Mm -hmm. in the shortest period of window. Why? Because they won't get disappointed yet. Now, <laughs> that being said, if you have products uh, and the supply chain and the post-purchase experience that's good and has can have the potential to have legs, what I would honestly recommend, and this is something really easy to apply, is to do the following. Use a tool like Miro. Add a sequence of screenshots of every single step that happens at the moment of someone discovering your website to signing up, browsing the products potentially, um, going to the checkout, purchasing, receiving the emails, have that all mapped out. That's your current present state. And now below that, create what would the ideal experience be. As an example, let's suppose that you're selling running shoes. If you identify that the goal of people that purchase running shoes is to, well, run, which is a fairly reasonable assumption, which you can also verify, of course, both by oh. surveys, interviews. Oh, oh look like they run, even if they don't run. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the post-purchase experience in that case would be to support them on starting their first run. Right. So you see what I'm saying? What yeah, no, the, the, this is exactly why I'm such a bad businessman, because I immediately think about not the people who are actually going to run, but the, the people who want to look like they run. So let's go back to people who are actually going to run. And it was it's similar to your idea or the, what you were talking about with the, the exercise bike. It's saying stick with them and help them with their journey post-purchase. Exactly. If you have the legs to produce an actually good customer and that's really hard right like it's expensive it's not mm. feasible for every company that's what you should do you should identify the shopping use case the goal that someone purchases and then you should map out a journey that supports that goal right okay no no that, that, that's actually really interesting because it doesn't just apply to e-commerce either it also applies to what we're trying to do which is it to say if you want people on board it applies to all user journeys. Right. And so once you've got them on board, which is incredibly difficult, is getting each individual on board. And often as marketers, I think we forget that we're talking to individual people. We've got them on board. We've got them purchasing. And we owe it to them to invest our own efforts to help them move forwards once they've purchased. That is correct. Uh, the, An email is, is, is your, your kingpin. Basically, you're saying email is the way to communicate because we're online. Email is a primary way to communicate, and it's also special because it allows to have two-way conversations, right. which is not easy in other channels. This is something that very, very few commerce companies do, but it works 100% of the time, and I don't say that lightly. If you create a personalized 
plain text email that's after the purchase and you genuinely ask how was your experience with xyz product please reply and let us know we actually care something along those lines people respond extremely well to that and there's many benefits to that there's a customer research benefit there is a deliverability improvement benefit and there's also a goodwill benefit now a lot of people um I, again i'm trying to be realistic because you can take these little ideas and like push them to the max and then you draw wrong conclusions. It's not that they're going to fall in love with your brand and then they're only going to buy from you because you send them a plain text email, right? But those tiny little things add up. And the more little uh, touch points you can add that create positive experience, uh, the better it will be over the long term. Right, brilliant. I think that's a great lesson for all of us. All of us excuse me. And you, you say plain text, and you said multiple times, plain text emails. Why do you insist so heavily on that? Because that's how people send emails. Imagine how you email a friend. Do you use HTML or do you use like Gmail, basically? It looks personal. Right. It looks real. It looks more authentic. And if you do this in a clever way, and there, there are clever ways to do that, to personalize the text, it can really give off the impression that someone actually wrote it and it's not automated. Right. I, sorry, I mean, kind of from, a, from my perspective, I'm looking at this, and my immediate reaction with email, I, we use MailChimp, is to say, I can put images, I can put links, I can put videos, I can put this and I can put that. So I immediately put everything in and I get overexcited and don't personalize i think everybody's the same and they're not and you're saying to me make it text-based and focus your attention on the personalization not on the visualization i will give you a similar answer to what i gave you before there's a spectrum right depending on what it is <laughs> that you're promoting imagine on one hand that you have t-shirts people need to see the t-shirt obviously right and they're going right. to swap because they like how the t-shirt looks. So in that case, you would need a visuals first approach. If you're promoting something that's slightly more complex and slightly less obvious and needs more trust, then text is what you need. Not necessarily plain text, but text here, the emails. So it has it, there's a spectrum again. And as I said, winning starts with knowing what game you play. Um, mm. And what we're seeing now, which is essentially how much friction a product or service has, is also relevant to how you do um, cart abandonment emails or welcome emails, as people call them, onboarding new subscribers, uh, essentially. Right. It, it has so, a lot so to do with the product. Okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, An advice, for example, with a product that's got a lot of friction, like a fridge, let's say. The cart abandonment email, what should it focus on? I, I would assume trust is getting you to believe that I will actually deliver the fridge and you can rely on me to support you in the future with that fridge. I am not entirely sure what the best way to sell fridges would be, but I can talk to you about supplements, <laughs> which also yep, have a lot of friction because supplements are not obvious, right? You don't know what it will do. Every, everybody says it will help you. Like, you can't really tell from the, mm. from the bottom. Um, what you should focus on really is um, addressing 
the purchase objections that people may have. Um, and th that can be like, why is this different than alternative supplements? Right. And if it's not uh, too different, why should I pay the price? And if I don't like it, what happens? Um, and mm. by the way, another thing that people don't really do, but they should, and again, I'm telling this because I want this to be actually helpful. You can add an email at the end of your cart abandonment uh, automations that asks those things. Why did you decide not to complete your purchase? And you can do it two ways. You can have um, a, an input field that they can openly describe their experience, or you can give them options, which if you talk to your customer support, for example, they will already have a few reasons why people may not be uh, interested in purchasing the product. And you don't really need to like, do that much research in a sense. But you should right. be creating this feedback loop, is what I'm saying, so that you can then use that info to improve how it works. Right. So there's always a dialogue, which is something I think kind of we all forget. We think, oh, let's set it and forget it and make those sales and don't worry about it. We don't actually have to treat people as human beings, which is slightly depressing. Um, because I think it's natural. It's always a little bit depressing, I think. <laughs> well, you kind of think it's easy, but in fact, it is. it is people buying your products to get benefit from them you need to accompany them but one thing i would say thinking about retention is it all about special offers is it all about limited time offers um or, or can we can we play along the lines of trust and credibility i mean because i see a lot of emails i get is last two days for 40 percent off or whatever and it's immediately hitting on the idea of limited availability and price this is something that does work, um, mm -hmm. for better or worse. However, it has a negative side effect that if overused, it conditions people to only shop when a discount is available. The, right. the real trick is to get people to purchase without uh, an additional discount. And again, the, the way to approach that depends a lot on how um, the quality really of the products you have. If the quality is not something that can sustain a long-term relationship, and that's, again, the majority of e-commerce stores. The majority of mm. e-commerce stores are like that. You should try to re-monetize people in a window of 60 to 90 days. Obviously, depends a little bit on the product, like it can be shorter or longer, but there's a short window of time is what you have. Um, if you have products that can support this longer relationship, then what you're saying is completely spot on, trust uh, and goodwill, really. I think about it as goodwill. Providing people with mm. content that they actually look forward to receiving is the way to go. However, um, everything ties back into the shopping use case. Like, you shouldn't just be sending them content, just using them content. It should be supporting that initial goal that drew them mm. to purchase from you, to do business with you. And if you don't know that, then you need to start there. Everything else is... Oh, I, was, I thought you were going to say, if you don't know that, you should change jobs, um, which, which would be a, a fair comment, because I tend to look at it all as being the same. But in fact, as you say, if you want to win the game, you actually need to know which game you're, you, are, you are playing. 
which is absolutely brilliant. That was wonderful, George. I really enjoyed listening and learning from you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, we're now going to pass the baton to next week, which is Austin. We have, if we can have the screen up. There we go. Austin Armstrong, how to get your business on TikTok today. Now, what I love about this is that we're interested in TikTok. We're trying to get TikTok to work for the brand set guy as a, as a brand. And so far, we haven't had as much success as we would like. So I'm going to pick Austin's brain about how to get my business on TikTok today. George, could you pass the baton? Passing on the baton to Austin Armstrong, uh, one of the best TikTok. TikTok coaches around. I'm really, really looking forward to this because I haven't involved myself much in TikTok yet. And I think it's a, it's going to be a really awesome episode for anyone that's looking to tap into that uh, channel. Brilliant. I've actually heard that TikTok is becoming more and more of an educational channel. So I'm really interested to dig into that with Austin. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, George, for joining us. There's my book right front and center, which is a little bit pushy, but Anton is such an enthusiastic uh, supporter of CaliCube and of Brand Surfs. Thank you, Anton, for that. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, George. Thank you, everyone.